Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of uh, You Can't Be Serious. Uh, I'm one half of your host, Matt Torrey, joined with my other half, Josh Tracy. Hey. Um, and uh, we're here to we're here to talk about some things and some stuff today. Um, there was a uh, recently some news in the world of music. Uh, one of our favorite bands, Wolfpack, um, the auction closed. They auctioned off the last track on their album. Uh, and, and Josh, what what did it sell for? It sold for uh for how much? Seventy seventy thousand one hundred dollars. That's that's a lot of dollars. That's um, a lot of money. And so, uh, and I do believe, I, I think I saw something that they, what were they doing with the money? They donated it, right? They, they donated a good chunk of it. They are, they used the money. The primary, primary reason for raising the money was to fund the album. And then, uh, I really don't think they were expecting on getting this much. Um, and if I had to put money down based on the quality of dudes in the band, they probably would have donated a chunk of that anyway. Um, but I think given, how big this was they were able to donate a pretty from the number of places to which they donated it seems like they gave away a, a, a pretty nice size of that um so yeah they donated to a bunch of music charities that's what i thought it was like like if the charity like funds i think like musical programs like in schools and things like that at least that's part of maybe one of the, the the things that i read yeah i think it was like like they help provide instruments to like lesser advantage school program music programs and shit like that that's so cool that's uh that's that's good stuff that's that there's so basically there, there's going to be like a middle school out there somewhere just stacked with joe dart bases <laughs> wow that would be crazy um but yeah so like I mean, this is just a such a even ignoring what they did with the money and like obviously we don't know if the track's gonna be any good. Um, oh, I'm, I'm banking the, on it being terrible. Just the idea, right, of a band auctioning off a track on their song and the way they did it too. Like they didn't. There was no big, uh, like I guess they did make a video, right? But there was no. Like, big, the, Jack Stratton dropped like a two and a half minute long video that just said, "Hey, we're auctioning off the." the song that's it like there was no and like i think he release. dropped i think he dropped the the video like either the day right before or like maybe the day of like there was no build-up to this like oh no like day, anyone day knew what was happening right day up i i got because i get notifications whenever wolf does anything because you, you gotta be quick um <laughs> and and he had just posted the the video he posted the video i think at the same time as the song got posted or the, i guess the track bid got posted because by the time i finished the two and a half minute long video i watched i i went to ebay to go find the sale um and it was already at like 250 dollars within like, like the first 10 minutes within the first minutes of it being up yeah um so what were what were your first thoughts like my first reaction to that like let's say I don't know who Wolf is like, oh, this is a PR stunt, right? They're just like, like, what, what did you think when you first read that? So it's funny. It's funny you say that because everybody I've told about this, because I'm enamored with this. Um, everyone I've told about is like, that's fucking stupid. And I was like, yeah, well, now hold on <laughs> because <laughs> I love it. Uh, so first of all, as an idea, uh, this is, this is, this is a, a real fucking smart idea. I, I mean, this is an indie band with no label and no manager. And the no label part is what factors into this heavily because they're not going to get an advance 
to to fund an album. You know, they're not going to get a producer to put the album together and everything, and then you know just take a cut out of out of record sales afterwards to help pay back what you like that because that's how traditional um, record making goes. Like you front everything, or I should say, the record company fronts everything up front. You know, they pay for your studio time, they pay for any session musicians you might need, blah 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 blah, and then they take the first however much that was out of however much revenue you 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 generated. So if it cost $100,000 of studio time and musicians, then they're going to take the first the first $100,000 that th- whatever your record makes is going to go straight back to the studio and then they're going to start taking their cut after that uh in terms of in terms of the profit. Uh, mm-hmm. in terms of just making money off of you, they're like I don't know, 3 or 5% so in terms of just thinking about how you make records, this is already a brilliant idea. Like they don't have to, they, they could fund their next like four records with that. If they kept all of it based on how they, they do this with such minimal studio time and how uh, time efficient they are um, due in large part to their musicianship. But the fact that they even had the wherewithal, because at the end of the day, it's going to be on a Wolfpack album. But everyone's going to know it's not Wolfpack, so mm. the stakes are really low for them. Because if the song sucks, all right, like it doesn't get Spotify well, so, downloads. Well, like, so that's the beautiful thing is if you even look at the if you look, I so I when I first heard, I think you were the first one to tell me about this. Is I thought like, well, that sounds cool, but like, what if the song sucks, or what if what if this, what if that? The way. It's all worked into the terms. They have it. He, Jack Stratton wrote it up in such a way that, like, if the song sucks, they just have they reserve the right to just not put it on the album. Um, there's there's no. Uh, I th- I think the, the terms were spelled out. It's like two minutes and thirty seconds, like two and a half minutes of recording time, and so it, it's not even like you can't just put whatever you want on this album. It, it's 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 gonna it's going to fit in the context of the album. Like, I think they were, they were going to make sure that whatever, you know, fills up this two minutes and 30 seconds of real estate on the album. Wasn't just going to be nonsense. Uh, I mean, it might still be nonsense, but, <laughs> um, I still would bad. like the, the eventuality where it's just a two and a half minute long ad for pizza hut or some stupid shit. I, I, I think that would be the funniest thing. Um, because I don't know. Because if you're listening to it on Spotify and you're just jamming out and then like a two and a half minute long ad for Pizza Hut comes on, you're going to be like, I thought I paid for Spotify premium. What the fuck is this? <laughs> uh, and, but it's just the song. But it's yeah. just track 10. Yeah, it'd be yeah, hilarious. Well, so if that's let, let's say uh, let's run with that for a second. If that's the case, what do you call the song? Is the song like do you call do you name it something creative so that people think, oh, what is this song? And they click on it and it's a Pizza Hut ad. Or do you just straight up call it Pizza Hut ad? Uh, that's a good question because I would have assumed that the that the purchaser would get the ability to name it because if it was bought by a record label or a band or some shit and they were going to put a track on it, obviously they'd want to put the name of the songs they wrote there. They wouldn't want to like submit a song that goes by like you know name oh, X sure. and Volta sure. goes fuck you. It's name Y. So oh, I sure, just... no, I'm saying you're the Pizza Hut executive, right? You're oh, the guy who put together this two-minute and 30-second Pizza Hut ad. 
you bought the, the track 10. What are you calling your two and a half minute Pizza Hut ad? What do you call it? Oh, uh, well, I see that's a that's a you're asking the wrong guy because I'm an asshole. Um, I, I would call it Disco Ulysses non-instrumental track and make everyone think that it was like a vocalized version of a previously existing full effect song and then just crush everyone's soul by just it being a two and a half minute long pizza hut ad see i i my first thought was like oh just call it pizza hut ad and like just be totally blunt with it but i i like it better the other way where it's like oh is this like a bonus edition track and it's literally just an advertisement (laughs) yeah yeah straight up like if if i if that was me i would call it like um uh captain hook part two and then everyone clicks on it because they're excited and then nope it becomes basically you're rick rolling your entire the entire wolf peck fan base that's basically what that becomes and what that if, is just amazing what it what if it is just two two minutes and 30 seconds of never gonna give you up uh i don't oh uh, it couldn't be because i'm pretty sure Rick Astley what still if, definitely what if, owns that. Well, what if but, Rick Ast? What if Rick Astley is the guy who bought it? What if Rick Astley is the guy who's paying the seventy thousand dollars? Oh my god! The, and, you, and do you think he has that much money? Um, <laughs> hey man, he he's he was doing stuff with the Foo Fighters uh, earlier during quarantine. He like released some some stuff. He um, yeah, you know he's a. I think he's a gospel artist now. He's actually he's not just a one trick pony. Um. What do you think Rick Astley's net worth is? Uh, well, you know what? Like, I, I don't know. Like, 50 million? 16. 16? 16, that's it? Really? Yeah. Well, he had, he had, he had the one album that had, that had Never Gonna Give You Up on it come out in, like, the 80s. And then that was pretty much it until internet culture kind of revived him in, like, the early 2000s. You know, you early YouTube days when Rick Rolling really became a big thing, and now he's kind of like he's kind of having a renewed level of internet success. Fifteen years after the the Rick Rolling sensation of the early two yes. thousands, like there's not a lot there for him. You know, I'm just trying to like, well, I don't know, sixteen million dollars is a lot of money to make off of being a, an internet joke. It, um, it's all it's all money to be to get from literally one famous song. Yeah. Well, so actually, while we're on the topic, uh, who's another like one hit wonder from the 80s? Look up their net worth. Look up like Duran Duran or something. What are they? Well, now Duran Duran, as we discussed last Saturday, had two hits. Okay. Well, so they need to be worth what? 32 million then, right? Uh, I would say at least. Hold on. Um, Is Duran Duran. Duran Duran is is people. It's not just one band, right? It's multiple people. Well, Well, it's Duran and Duran, right? It's All a, right, it's so, a, it's a, so it's a it's a duo of Duran so and Duran. Nick Rhodes is the is the head guy of Dur- like he is Duran Duran, and Nick Rhodes, and he is worth sixty million dollars. Hey, good. So so. All right, so he's more successful than he's worth more than Rick Astley. I don't yeah, know and I think that makes sense because like Duran, like like never going to give you up. We all know it as a joke. Like it was like a, 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 a hit of the time, but like that was really it. But like Duran Duran had like, they had a following, like not like a yeah. big following, but they did have a following. Uh, uh, that uh, hungry, like a wolf, hungry, like the wolf is in Shrek. Is it not? They have a song in Shrek. So. <laughs> I hope, I hope it's not. I think it is. Oh no. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, I want to loop this back to finish my thoughts on the track idea. 
Yeah, sorry, we got really off topic there. That's okay. Because my my the thing I love about it the most that I I feel the need to tell everybody is just how fucking smart I think it is as an as as it fits into the concept of the album. So the name of this Wolfpack album that has the song being auctioned off on it is called The Joy of Music, The Job of Real Estate. And it comes from this interview, or uh, actually I think it was like a, an article that the band leader, Jack Stratton's dad wrote like a few years ago, back when the band was really starting to take off. And Jack Stratton's dad wanted to be a writer. He studied, I think, English in college. And his professor, or sorry, his father told him, don't do that. The arts don't make you money. Go get a job that makes you money. And so he left the arts behind and went and became a real estate agent. And so when Jack started getting big with the band and really investing himself into music, and even from an early age, just being interested in music, his dad was very supportive because for him, he loved music growing up. He loved the arts. And he said that for him personally, it was always about the joy of music, but the job of real estate. And so to incorporate that name and then to auction off the last song as a piece of, as Jack Stratton himself puts, a piece of auditory real estate, I think fits so amazingly well into. The, the like the theme that this album's going for. So I love it on that end too. It's it's a very for people who know the band and people who have like followed the band and know the people in the, like it's a it's a very Wolfpack thing to do. And just the way the whole thing it's worded it's a very it it just so in like keeping with what the band is and, and how they operate as a unit and as a business. Um and it's so creative. Like I mean I can I don't know if if it's been done before, I don't. I've. I've. I didn't hear about it. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know anything. I. 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 If we. If this was something else, if someone else had done this, we would know. Like. Like this is. Yeah. And and you know I, I'm I'm sorry for jerking off the band a lot right here, but like I'm just I just want to reiterate how cool like even just the songs they've chosen to go on it so far. Like so far they have on it, um, a a synthesized version of a box song um two instrumentals two vocal tracks and then a uh four-part harmony uh acapella song like they're covering a lot of bases to really i think give a full breadth to the the joy of music aspect of it and i am just such a fan yeah yeah they're great i a huge fan do we want to? Um, uh, so, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So, so I, so you said you like when you said you you thought that you know they the intentions behind this you know the fun funding the funding the album right that's kind of huh funding funding the album that is that is that kind of like I mean because yeah. so I mean do you think there's what I'm what I'm getting at here is like I mean, do you think this has opened them up to? Because there was like there was quite a bit of publicity around this. Uh, I saw there was people like writing about it online, um, of uh, the auction, so to speak. Um, but uh, is this because this isn't the first time they've done, uh, you know, a, a a stunt like this? There was the the Sleepify campaign they did on Spotify where they released just uh, an album of silence. Um, and then ask their fans to listen to it at night when they slept yes, to, to get like, the royalties from Spotify. Yes. And like they, um, and so they're, they're known for being kind of like, uh, like going against the grain, right. As far as like not doing things conventionally. 
Um, do you think this is going to open up? Like, do you think other bands are going to do this now? Do you think this is yeah. a smart thing for other bands to do? I I do, and and this is this is what I what I think makes Volpec such a great jumping off point for the more general music industry conversation is that they're not doing anything really all that crazy. Jack Stratton's mission in life, as he is again self described as saying, is to just make the musicians as much money as you can, and that involves you trimming out the fat. Because one of the things that you can't necessarily control is how often your music is streamed or listened to or bought or whatever, but you can control what your what your outputs are in terms of where you are spending money. And they have chosen, and they've been very good at executing on not spending money. They don't have a manager because a manager is going to charge a percent. They don't have a record label because a record label is going to charge a percent. They don't pay for advertising. They only use social media platforms because social media platforms are free and, and and they get themselves in the news. You know, the fact that they got themselves in the news for Sleepify was just as important as the money actually raised off of Sleepify. The fact that they're in the news again for doing this whole deal with, with selling off the, the, the track is again with. I don't know what the numbers are with how much more revenue it's going to generate them for getting their name out there uh, as compared to $70,000. But it's having your name be in the public eye is exceedingly valuable. And they managed to do it several times without without really having to do anything that outlandish. And it fits their mission statement, um, which is make the musicians as much money as they can. And that's not a greed thing. That's more of a, we want to pay you for your work and not have to give away like 25% of it before it hits your wallet. You know, that's uh, they're, cu- they're, they're cutting out the middleman. Right. And I can't how I don't know how the music industry becomes anything other than this eventually, because at what, if, if, if and again, the, they're very talented musicians. The music is really fucking good. So I understand that it's not like a literally anyone can do this, but in terms of the strategies that they chose in, a, in, by, as a means of executing their mission statement, those are steps anybody can take. There's, you don't need a record label to do that. It's easier with a record label probably at the outset because it's just going to have a larger distribution channel and you won't have to kind of grind it out as much as they did. But the way that they chose to go about it, again, like literally anyone can do. All they did was make songs, again, killer songs, but make songs, put them on YouTube, Put them on Twitter, put them on Instagram, uh, put them on Facebook, and then that was really it. They, like, they didn't even play a, their first show until they were like a band for like four years or so, five years. Like, was it that long? Yeah, because that was um. I, who was I listening to talk about this? Corey Wong when he first joined the group, um, he was saying that Jack said that this this is a band that's never going to play a show. Like Corey Wong was like when I first joined the band, Jack told me. He, he said during their, their sessions, Jack would go around telling everybody, remember, this is a YouTube band. We don't tour. This is a YouTube band. Mm. And so, and eventually the demand grew so much that they started doing small tours just because people would, they, they, people were asking for it at a certain They had point. to. Yeah. They had to. And I don't, again, I don't see how music as an industry doesn't get here at even if you treat record labels as as a jumping off point at some point you know like even if uh 
you know, you go to a record label for your first three albums and then cut loose after that. Like what's holding a guy like, or what's holding, what's holding Taylor Swift to a record con contract. She's got a following. Her social media is huge. What, what is, what is keeping Taylor Swift from once her next, uh, her current contract expires, what's keeping her with, with that company or any company, you know? I don't know. Right? Like what, what could a record company bring to Taylor Swift that is bigger than what Taylor Swift would be bringing to a record company? I mean, the only thing I can think of is so. So, I mean, and Jack Stratton talks about this sometimes. Um, it's a lot of work, you know, the, running the, the business side of, uh, you know, being an entertainer. Um, and so I'm sure at some point, you know, maybe, maybe for Taylor Swift, maybe she, you know, to her, it's worth the, you know, whatever percentage that she pays the, the, the record company or her manager or whatever, um, so that she doesn't have to worry about it, you know, cause I mean, I've, I've seen interviews where Jack Stratton talks about, it. he's like, there's, you know, I have like these fantasies about, you know, like hiring a man and like just handing all the business stuff over to somebody so I could just focus on the music. But that's just not how that's, you know, going back to kind of what their, their end goal has always been. That's not how you make the most amount of money for the musicians involved. The only way to do that is if you do it all yourself. I, I all right. So I see that point with the manager, but speaking specifically, I guess about the record company, what are what are they doing for her? Because the record company is not going to be. I'm sure they might offer some upfront cash to help. Because the way you 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 play shows is you have to rent the space, and then then the tickets cover the show. Actually, I just heard um I just heard an interview with Jack Stratton the other day. Do you know how much it costs to rent out Madison Square Garden? No, I don't. No. Do you want to guess? Um. I don't know, half a million dollars, five hundred, five hundred grand. All right, so you, yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty close. It is lower than that. Um, I forget the exact amount because he was very precise, but it was like yeah. three hundred twenty thousand dollars. Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Well, I mean, that's yeah. Yeah, he he said he said it fluctuates depending. He says like you know Billy Joel gets a discount. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he plays I'm there sure like depending on week. like I mean if you're. You know, trying to play a show on, you know, December 20th. I'm sure that's different than on, you know, August 14th. Even less than that. I'm sure playing a show on a Saturday costs a lot more than playing a show on a Tuesday. Yeah, or that just that or just that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so so there is that. And, uh, you know, maybe the record company helps shell out a portion of that. But like outside of that, that's what I'm saying. Like a person like Taylor Swift in particular, who's got money out the fucking ass. Well, well like, so what is a record company? She can in afford to. Sure, but what are they in charge? They're in charge of distribution, right? Uh, yeah, I'd say mainly. Right, and so and, and Taylor Swift has been kind of like vocal about. Um, I, I, is she on Spotify now? She uh, she wasn't at one point. Right? She, she wasn't. She she pulled herself off. I don't know if that's her current status because I don't search for her music on Spotify. But sure. Um, but so like just from a from a distribution standpoint, right? If you're not on if your stance is I, I don't agree with um, 
you know, the streaming platform, like the Apple Music, Spotify. Um, do you then need a record company for for distribution purposes? Because how else? How how are people? How do people? Obviously, you know, you put you can put a, um, you know, put put the song out on YouTube or or whatever. But how do how are people? You know, actually getting your album streaming. It's just, it's all streaming. Well, that's what I'm saying is if if you if your stance is I am not putting my music on streaming platforms, what are your options without well, no. record company? Uh, honestly, um, if you're not putting um, your if you if you're not putting your your music on a streaming platform, even with a record company, I don't know what what how you're planning on on, on propagating your record in place. Right, but so but so that's what Taylor Swift that 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 that's what she did for. I mean, I, I'm not again. I'm not sure if she's on Spotify now, but for a while she was not. So, and Taylor Swift was obviously selling records and was making money and doing fantastically. So like. I don't know. <laughs> well, she, it, her particular issue, if I recall correctly, was the payment via Spotify. And it wasn't that she took her music off streaming. It was that she removed it specifically from Spotify, but it was available elsewhere. And to ah, her point, okay. yeah, to her point, Spotify's payment of artists is uh, a bizarre and stupid system. Um, it's oh, so, a, oh, 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 I, un, I totally understand why she oh, was yeah, against yeah, Spotify. No, no, and, no. I, I got you. I, I, I'm basically just saying, like, like that's. But like, if you were to go again, I don't know if this is still a thing. Um, but if you were to go at that point in time to Spotify and not find her music, but you went to iTunes, you would find her music, or even like Pandora, you would find her music. It was really just Spotify because they are mm -hmm. fucked. Um, because huh. and and again, I'm gonna loop Wolf back into it. The only way, the way I see it. There are only two ways to consume music right now. There is streaming or electronic music, you know, like whether you uh, don't stream it and you download it to like your your phone or or download it on your computer, whatever, you know, non-physical, electronically transmitted music or vinyl. I don't I don't think there's any more really. I'm sure CDs are still being sold because I'm. Sure, there's still some whack jobs that buy them, um, but I'm willing to bet that that's not much anymore. I can't imagine cassettes are still a thing. Um, and so you really come down to the point where the only physical medium you have left for music is this very relatively less and less niche part, but still a niche part uh, or, or, or a niche platform, which is, again, a thing, uh, a thing that I think Volf does exceedingly well. Because the way that they do it, they distribute their music via, or they sell their vinyl via a website called Curates. And the way Curates works is you have a, like a 30-day window to back an album. The album has a goal of how many backers it wants, kind of like how like a, a GoFundMe would work. Um, and after the 30 days, if it meets that goal, then, then Curates goes through the process of pressing vinyls in accordance to how many were sold and then distributing them. Why that's smart for a group like Wolfpack or really any independent band is it cuts down on a couple major costs. The first, well, the first one being you don't have to pre-order, like you know you don't have to like Wolf doesn't have to go to to a vinyl pressing shop and say give me five thousand copies, pay for that upfront, and then try to sell them, which mm -hmm. saves them on on 
uh, having to deal with packaging themselves or again, outsourcing that to it would be probably a different company. And then all the, the shipping and handling. And or they're having to front all of those costs. Exact or or those might be delayed because if you know if you opening you know if you only pre sell three thousand of them and you have two thousand left over that are going to be hopefully sold within the next six months like you have to sit on that merchandise yeah right and that's the other big cost that is associated with having physical uh, merchandise of any kind is shelf life having yeah. to ha- have a space where you would store two thousand excess vinyls while you're waiting for them to eventually be sold. Um, and I, I think that's just fucking genius because they don't have to, there's no, there's no hidden, I wish there was, but there's no hidden garage full of Wolf merch that they're just sitting on waiting for like you and me to pop over to the website and buy. It's, it's all, it's all ad hoc, man. It's, it's all, it's all on demand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. So. This isn't where I thought we were going to take this conversation, but you bring up an interesting point there and about, you know, their, uh, the way they, the way they, they do their vinyl is Wolfpack does their vinyl in particular. They, they're not, they're not, they're not sitting on a stock of merchandise. And so like, there's no, they're not incurring any kind of risk as far as costs that they're taking on. Um, but what that does do, and we've talked about this in the past, um, is, is it limits the number of uh, of vinyl, you know, the number of records in circulation, which drives up the 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 price of these vinyl on the on the secondhand market. Yeah, the dangerous, dangerous secondary market, which uh, and, so, I, and this also is not where I was expecting this to go either. And it's it's j- just to to touch on it for a real quick point, and then we can certainly move along. One of the most fascinating things that makes this secondary market different from others is if you're Nike and you make shoes and there is a huge secondary market for Nike and Adidas shoes, right? It's a yeah, huge yeah. secondary market. Nike and Adidas love it though. Cause what that means is that anytime they drop a new like collector kind of shoe, it's going to get sold out so that those people can then turn and make a profit off it on the secondary market. So they don't care if people buy seven pairs of shoes, as long mm-hmm. as the shoes clear the shelves. Actually, sure. I think they, they do have a limit. I'll usually it's like two or four, but regardless, sure, but- yeah. Point being, Wolf doesn't do that because again, they're not sitting on anything. It's yes. all it's all ad hoc. So yeah, the secondary if you miss that window to buy it, 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 that's it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's it it's gone. And Wolf isn't profiting off of the secondary market the same way Nike is. Because when a new Wolf record drops, because it's all ad hoc, the only people buying it are people who want the album, hopefully, and then a few people here and there buy doubles so that they can sell them on the secondary market. Mm-hmm. But those extra sales are really small and they're not cleaning out an inventory the way that Nike is having inventory, inventory cleaned out. Right, yeah. exactly. So it's a weird position for Wolf to be in, which is why they're talking about re-releasing a bunch of their stuff because their audience has grown and you can't buy a copy of Old Milk without spending like 200 fucking dollars. Um, but yeah, it's... It's an int- it's a very interesting secondary market for 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 this type of vinyl. But we we can move back to to wherever yeah, it was because there's there was a different path that I wanted us to to, to take down and and we kind of got um, it interesting nonetheless talking about Wolf specifically the way they they do their vinyl. But um, 
we touched on it earlier, kind of how they came up, how they got big as a band was through this really organic, uh, you know, social media presence on, you know, whether YouTube, uh, Twitter, things like that. Um, and it almost reminds me of, and just kind of the way that I, even I was introduced to Wolfpack kind of like through word of mouth. One of our friends was like, Hey, have you heard of this band Wolfpack and showed me one of their videos? And I was like, Whoa, this is amazing. Um, kind of reminds me of of the stories you hear about like um uh, like dave matthews band when they were really uh like just first starting out and people were just basically like passing around like bootleg tapes and that's how they got you know really big i think there's a lot of other examples in the the jam band community in particular like i know uh obviously the grateful dead is known for their uh you know their uh recordings of of live sets and things like that um but just kind of it, it's really interesting how technology has kind of allowed allowed that to be a a more viable way of promoting your band. I think it was I think it was the Arctic Monkeys were, were one of the first bands to like really get big off of uh MySpace. Like some of their their first early before they even released their first album. Um, they had some demo tapes like floating around on the internet and literally it was just fans were like passing these, these recordings back around and back and forth around on, on MySpace, And that's how, um, they blew up. Like when their first album came out, it was huge. I, I, it might've won like best, like rock album of the year or something like that back in 06. Um, but it, you know, it, th that kind of organic, um, you know, becoming known through, you know, just having fans and your fans bringing in other fans. Um, obviously, that has always been a part of how bands have, have become known. But there was usually this, you know, a, a big marketing campaign or this, these big executives also backing the band from a record company. Um, but but nowadays, you don't need any of that. And, and just how. Uh, it's allowed for so many more artists to to become so well known well so i i i think it's a, a big part of it is that music at its core is a democracy if 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 people aren't with you you ain't fucking going anywhere mm -hmm. and we as fans have a fuck ton of influence over what happens mm -hmm. again you know like a democracy you have as much of a say as as you are given the uh, you know your voice, while it might seem small due to the vast number required for action, matters because you are part of a conglomerate. Um, it's in, it's the same thing with more well-established acts too. Like, like I was, I've been reading a bunch about Zappa recently, and um, mm -hmm. he had surprise, surprise, uh, a lot of trouble getting uh, Joe's Garage made. Really? Um, yeah, you wouldn't have guessed it. And the, uh, I think it was Warner Brothers. He was in a deal with. I forget who was supposed to release the record, but he brought the record to him and it was like a, you know, three, four disc record. And, and did, I'm he, just gonna, have, did he have the cover at this point or was it just the that? Record? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and Warner brothers was like, again, I don't know if it's actually Warner brothers. But I'm just gonna keep saying that Warner brothers sure. was like, we're, we're not releasing this. Absolutely <laughs> and not. And Zappa was like, <laughs> and Zappa was like, we have a contract. And they were like, we're not releasing this. And because of the contract, Zappa could also was not allowed to go sell it to anybody else for distribution. So yeah. he was like, what the fuck? So what he ended up doing 
was going on the radio and telling people, hey, I'm going to go play the entirety of Joe's al- Joe's Garage on the radio in a few days. You guys should all just tape it and then bootleg your own copies. <laughs> and then did that. And that ended up, one, pissing off the record company, and two, being so successful that the record company then caved and offered to do pressings on demand. So fans would have to write to the record company asking them for a copy of Joe's Garage, and then they would send them one. And eventually, that generated so much revenue that they decided to just release the record. How long long were they doing one-off presses like that? Ooh, that that I don't you know? remember. It was a I, I want to say it was a few months. That's insane. Yeah, that's like that's an insane amount of stubbornness on the record company's part. Because I can totally understand why, you know, in the initial meeting, like, hey, we don't want to release this album. Fine. From like a uh, you know, I'm a a corporate business guy. Like, oh, this isn't going to sell. Well, we're not going to make money off this. This is too outlandish, crazy. Um, but now you know the the radio stunt happens. People have the album out there and they love it. Again, corporate money guy that I am, uh, we got to release the album. We we want our cut. But they didn't do that. They said, well, only if people write to us and tell us that they want it, then we'll send them a copy. Yeah. That can't be cost effective. I, 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 well, you know, again, this goes into the whole essence of who Zappa was as an artist. They were probably trying mm-hmm. to suppress the, all the, 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 the man coming down on the voice of the people, man. Um, so I'm sure that played a lot into it and that they ate a lot of costs for those tight button-up shirt reasons, man. But, yeah. <laughs> but it, 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 that's what I think, though, that showing that the current age we're in when it comes to, like, social media and the power of, like, just raw streaming data shows though is like if people like you and you being a musician uh, or you being a person who also makes music doesn't matter and they they support you you'll be successful and that's what Wolfpack showed like they again they didn't do anything that crazy other than write really good music which I'm sure a lot of people do who don't get discovered um, because the music industry is tough like that but they were really good at being a being present and giving people who wanted to engage with them an, an avenue and opportunity to do so. And the people showed up. Totally. Yeah. They, they showed up en masse. So there's, we've kind of talked, we've been talking about like the, obviously all the positives that come from this side of music, as far as, you know, it being a democracy. And I totally agree with you that if, if, music is good if you're good that's you know and you stick with it you you know you will see the results um that being said though do you think i guess for first part um because it's now easier than ever to um i guess distribute or to to have your music reach a large audience um is easier now more than ever do you think that's a that's made is that is that a net positive or a net negative for music as a whole do you think I think it's a net positive it 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 
so it makes it tough as an act because having the the industrial complex that is the music industry behind you is obviously very powerful and good if mm-hmm. you are trying to get a name for yourself because sure. uh, back when the only medium we had was physical and i guess radio if you didn't have a way of printing records and you didn't have a way of getting those copies of records onto a disc jockey's desk there was no way anyone was going to hear your shit mm-hmm. you know and no that's matter how good tough. it was no matter how good you were right like and so having having a, a a corporate entity behind you who's willing to front all of those costs for you that you will eventually have to repay with interest basically um it it means a lot so it's tougher now because if you don't have that making a name for yourself like it how many years into wolf's existence because i think they started in like 2011 um how many years into their existence did it take for you to hear about them uh it was probably 2015 2016 so like four, four years yeah yeah i was yeah yeah right right around when the beautiful game came out i think is kind of when i got into them all right how long did it take you after her debut album did it take you to hear about taylor swift i was immediate like i knew about her debut album yeah like right away right and and i and i don't listen to taylor swift that's the thing is is but i knew about her like i knew that who she was and yeah as I've gotten older, I've gained a better appreciation for pop instead of just dismissing it as that shit that like my sisters listen to. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't listen. I still don't really listen to Taylor Swift. But like, yeah, I, when I, it when it came out, that that I that I was not looking for that album, but I knew oh no, especially because at that point in time in our lives, you and I were still very much so classic rock snobs. Um, well, I think I yeah, I think I was in middle school when that album came out. <laughs> um, I think the same. Um, yeah, two thousand six. Really? Wow. Jesus. Anyway, um, but so I, I guess but, 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 I guess just sorry, just just to wrap up the point. If you don't, Taylor Swift had a label, and that enabled her to be a name pretty immediately. Whereas Wolf had a had a grind, and while it it was they came up, even though it was only five years later, really, they still came up in in, in a way that allowed them to do it very cost effectively and do it on their own terms it still took them longer. So that's your trade-off, I think, mainly. Well, so I, I guess... Obviously, I mean, I, th- I feel like when talking about Taylor Swift versus Wolfpack, we're kind of looking at, like, two extreme ends of the spectrum as far as how they're run, you know, from, like, a, from like a business standpoint. Um, mm. But I guess, I guess something that I think about kind of often is, like, the idea that um, so so I think I told you this the other day. So I was listening to a podcast uh, or an interview with Tom Segura, the comedian, and he talked about um, he was talking about his about hip hop. The question was like, you know, do you think uh, like what do you think about modern hip hop versus like you know old school hip hop? Like you know, what are your thoughts? Like whatever. And he gave such a great answer that I think is obviously very true about hip-hop but kind of more broadly can be applied to the music industry in that 
back like in the early 90s when you know you had like you know the east coast west coast feud and like there was like 15 rappers in the world like and and that was like it um and so if you weren't one of those 15 people um no one was listening to you because like you just weren't one you know now there's fucking um, there's a million there's a soundcloud rappers whatever um and so from a like a raw numbers standpoint there is there are way more talented rappers now than there were talented rappers in the early 90s um but by the same token like there's just so many more rappers that a bunch of them are bad like and so applying that to the overall music industry um back in the 50s 60s 70s there was way less musical artists to choose from to listen to like like when you compare it to 2020 a, a minuscule fraction but all of them were deemed by a record company or, or whatever to be good um whereas now you have there's more noise now there's more noise that you have to 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 kind of stand out from and so i think the difference is you know that whereas before it was difficult to get your music out there to a wider audience but once you had it out there you you stood out you were you know people knew who you were now it's easy to have your music accessible to a large audience but it's much more difficult to stand out. Yeah, that's that's a, and that's one of the just to speak on hip hop for a moment. Actually, real quick to issue a correction, it was not Joe's Garage. It was Leather, uh, the for the Zappa album. Sorry, oh, okay, but it okay. was Warner Brothers, so I got to get that one right. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Points for Warner Brothers. Fine. Fifty, 50 uh, solid fifty percent there. Uh, anyway, that. I, and I think that shows one of the the greatest aspects of hip hop as a genre, which is the the feature. Like featured artists are a huge part of releasing hip hop records, um, yeah. and uh, I think that is right there the earliest form of trying to help out other artists that you like, while not having while trying to skirt the the industry end of it, and it gets tougher. Um, it has gotten tougher, I should say, as record companies have gained more strength. Luckily, I think mm. that that strength is kind of uh, fading. Um, I know this was a big issue with Chance earlier on in his career that there were Chance the Rapper. There were certain people that like the uh, record labels were telling him he couldn't have on his record because they were signed to his label. I think Chance was like, but I don't have a label. So like, how is this breaking their contract? This is this is a mixtape. Um, yeah. So, uh, it standing out is well. First of all, I guess it's really everything. That's how you got a record contract to begin with, and I I guess you could look at it in the same way. You know, like if you're if you're good enough now to get a million streams in a month on Spotify, you were probably good enough to get a record contract in the nineties, right? Yeah, that's, that's probably how I would put it. Right. And so, but, you know, that record contract in the 90s, I don't, I, I feels maybe it wouldn't expose you to more people, uh, but like a higher proportion of, of, 
of what people were listening to would be your stuff, right? Well, so um, again, this is this is kind of how it's shifting from being a record company going, here's music, and a bunch of people all finding a band and then telling their friends, hey, check that out. Because Taylor Swift, well, again, very talented, very talented in her in you know in her own right. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say that she was like forced upon us by some bizarro complex, but she had a lot of backing and her song, like someone at whatever record company she was signed with heard her play and goes, this is a sound we can sell. and Let's yeah. put money behind this and try to see if we can generate attention and revenue and record sales and blah, blah, blah. And then they did yeah. that and it worked. Nowadays, and the, eventually the end result of, of both ways of doing it could potentially be the same, which is again why we've talked about Wolfpack so much because they're showing the potential for this. The end result being though, a lot of people are going to listen to your music. It's just mm-hmm. in bands like Wolfpack's case and i i guess dave matthews band as well it's just how'd you get there because the way they're doing it is we we're just gonna put music out there and hopefully enough people like it then enough people tell their friends about it that we get the same level of following or even a scaled down level of following that someone that had that complex behind them would get and then again hopefully eventually you would still get to the same point which is selling out stadiums or whatever size concert venue you you feel like playing um selling records and being able to make a living as a musician so we're i think we're at that transitory period like we're we are at that crossroads right now because i think more artists are going to see not even just what wolfpack's doing in particular but the potential that wolfpack saw nine years ago um and be able to capitalize the even greater because as many people as there were on facebook instagram twitter and youtube uh in 2011 there are only more on those platforms now uh mm-hmm. so in theory you have a bigger jumping off point but it's i it, it, it's a weird but very interesting point in time we're at in terms of where the industry is yeah and so i i do you think do you think this is like the beginning of the end for record companies? Is that is this kind of signaling the end of this? They're they're a relic of the past, um, or or do you see? Um, because the thing the thing about I think you know, uh, Wolfpack um, and other bands that kind of came up through the the early two thousands social media was they were capitalizing on on something new um no one had done it before right no one had uh just released a bunch of demos on on myspace and grown from just people sharing the files no one had just uh become an uh international sensation by just recording youtube videos um now that that's becoming more and more normal like and and kind of we're seeing more and more people do it to varying degrees um do you think i don't know maybe record companies uh shift their business model in 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 into you know instead of instead of being the you know the 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 distribution arm of of the um of for artists they they they, they handle these kinds of things or, or or what do you think i mean i mean what are your thoughts all right i have an idea i'm going to i'm going to run by you sure so 
two two really successful companies in the world of film over the last twenty years are Miramax and A twenty four, um, and they basically did the same things. Uh, nowadays, Miramax um, is not really around any much because that was the company formerly headed by Harvey Weinstein. Uh, but luckily, we have A twenty four instead, which seems to be a very reputable company. And what they do is they don't try to make much they produce some things but what they do is they work in distribution they go mm-hmm. let um filmmakers make films and then they try to find ideas for projects that they like think about what would be successful and then help them out with getting it spread around getting it put into festivals put into movie theaters blah 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 and as they've gotten bigger they'll eventually start backing more financially with with those um with any projects they they think might have future success and i think there's going to have to be some level of that in the record in or the uh the music industry because obviously different because again that's distribution that's kind of what we're talking about getting away from in music but Mm -hmm. the idea is that like an old-timey movie production studio would be like, we're going to make the movie, we're going to produce the movie, we're going to just... Like, they were going to do everything. Yeah. And now they found a part that... Because with how cheap, comparatively speaking, camera equipment is now to what it was in the 60s, like, sure. it doesn't take... Look at look at uh, Clerks by Kevin Smith from 1994. He, yep. he did that shit yep. for, like, nothing. Yeah. People can, people can make cool movies now, for not, you know, relatively speaking, a pretty low budget. So they movie. So there are now movie distribution companies that have specialized. And I think the record. Uh, okay, I'm trying to say like record industry, which isn't right. The music industry is going to have to find that niche. And because the same thing has happened because of consumer technology just getting better, recording wise now, like mm-hmm. Corey Wong can go make a really cool song in his basement. Yep. Like, and it's going to sound really good because there's yep. just technology available for it. For so a, a fraction of a fraction of the cost it would have in 1970. Right. And, and again, that's also him taking away the need to have a uh, record contract because he doesn't need to get all these big costs uh, front loaded so that he can actually make the record. He can just do it himself. And so I don't quite know where that niche is. I don't know what it looks like. Maybe more. It maybe it'll be more about touring and advertising than it is about um, upfront costs and distribution, uh, upfront production costs, I should say, and distribution because those are things that can be done on the by the the artists. So, like if you and I started a band, I think that you and I have the technology at our hands to not make something as high quality as some of you know the more professional stuff but high quality enough i think we get by you know i think we have a decent enough array of of tech at our hands to make uh something that didn't sound like shit uh, at least uh auditorily totally totally that 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 wouldn't have it wouldn't even be something we would be talking about in 1970 it wouldn't even be feasible it wouldn't even be worth having a a what-if conversation right so because we no longer need a record company to float us the upfront cost of recording, we can take that out. But you know what we might need a record company for? The upfront, upfront costs for? Renting out Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. 
or advertising costs. If we want to have our tracks promoted on Spotify or, or a higher SEO on Google or some shit, like, you know, just your uh, better Instagram and Twitter promotion, that kind of shit. The stuff that we can't reasonably do ourselves expediently the way that you could if you paid for it. So maybe that's where we see more of it. Um, I, I don't know. I, because it doesn't seem worth it today. You know, to go with the record company. Yeah, I have, I'm, I'm at a loss for, for kind of where they go from here because. Like what niche do you think the record comp, the record, I keep wanting to say record industry, the music industry, what niche do you think that they have to go through? Well, so the thing is that I think it, there's a lot of similarities between, I think, the music industry and the film industry in that there's uh, historically been large production costs. Um, you, have, you have these big corporate entities that, you know, deal with big contracts with the entertainers and with the people who are producing the, the product. Um, but the... I mean, you also have the um, the idea that stuff has come, it's become way cheaper for people to produce these things, and you have uh, streaming services for both of them, both movies and music. Um, the big difference, though, is for music, you, you still have the live performance, right? You still have the idea of, uh, if you were an artist, you were a band, you were a, you were a singer, whatever, um, you're playing shows. You are going out and playing shows. Um, if you're making a movie, right, the actors involved or the director aren't going out and putting on shows. Um, and so there. There's no way for them to kind of supplement the income they get from, you know, producing the product um, versus. uh promoting the product I'm, I'm not do you understand where i'm trying to go with this i do i do i i, I i'm with you and so i think i i think you know if like there's no way for a uh you know a a director a cast and a crew without a a a, a major you know production company behind them to just like say hey we're gonna show this movie we're gonna do this we're gonna take this movie on tour and and we don't need a company to dis to distribute it um whereas uh a band you know if they you know write nine ten songs right and for whatever reason um are unable to 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 record it or whatever they have the option of going to touring around and playing it and 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 making a living that way and so that's a big key difference, I think, between the two industries that uh, complicates the relationship between the production company and the artist, um, where in, in music, the artist has almost, uh, almost more control, almost more, uh, more leverage uh, because they have the live performance that you know, a, a film actor or director doesn't have. Okay. I have another idea. I want to float by and I'm kind of surprised we haven't brought it up already. Okay. 
South Korea, K-pop. Those groups are entirely designed by record companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That could be an avenue that it goes down here too. I mean, the thing about it, the thing that's made it so successful in South Korea is that they are carefully chosen by people that have a lot of good depth of understanding of what fans want and where they can get those pieces from. And then those are those upfront costs. And if there's anything that a record company definitely has, I bet it's R and D. I bet it's a bunch of research on what the average consumer wants to hear out of a group and can be assembled thusly. And so we could get think, end up more with more like I don't want to say inorganic, but like more generated acts. So I think I mean well one I I also am surprised we haven't come up haven't brought that up because that is an excellent point. That is as as that's like as that is probably the polar opposite of Wolfpack is a group like uh like BTS the, the BTS or the Wonder Girls or or Blackpink or um but uh cuz if there's going to be a high level of engagement from the record company that is like the ultimate right there you know they are literally forming their own supergroups and mm-hmm. then and then marketing oh, them a- and distributing them and promoting them and having them tour like from and- a young age they have like groups that they've got like a roster of 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 groups like of potential k-pop groups that like just haven't released anything yet because they 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 as a record company have decided like well they're not they're 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 not ready yet which is just bananas but i mean like i think we see that as a diet version today, you know, like you have these guys who are like specialized in songwriting and you get, you know, these people who like write songs for everybody. This is the old Brill building concepts that you still see today. Like, I think it's, I think her name's Sia. Um, yeah. Who had an album, uh, a big album, like a few years ago, but like she, her whole career was like a writer of songs for other people. And so there's always been this behind the scenes kind of like, you know, inorganic nature to certain pop vehicles. But since, Again, as we've been talking about this whole show, you can get more and more organic music in general out of just people who want to do it. You might not need to have artists have so much of their stuff written for them, which isn't a big deal, but it just might not need to be something that's that's done anymore. So the alternative would be full assembly of the product, you know? So I think I think the difference and maybe it could be my own biases um in, in why I think this, but I think one of the big differences between the South Korean music market and the uh, American music market is the influence that like just improvisation um, has had on, on music. Um, Something There, there is no, there's no history of like the blues or of jazz in South Korea. Their, their music history is, as far as modern music goes, is, um, comes from kind of the age of, of, of like technology. Everything's very kind of calculated and, 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 uh, 
you know, carefully constructed. Um, whereas this is, think, this is interesting. So you're you're th- saying it's, it's more of like, um, and a, um, what's a creationist view versus an evolution view. Uh, maybe it's, it's tough for me to articulate because I, I, I'll admittedly, I'm not, I'm not a, a South Korean music scholar. Um, but just from my own, uh, observations and experience is that I, I don't know if that kind of carefully calculated and like, um, uh, uh very put together kind of image and just what it would be as successful, you know, as like a mainstream thing here in the United States. And the reason I say that is, well, yes, there, I mean, you make it's Sia is a, is a great example of someone who's written songs for like almost, you know, all, all, all of the major pop stars that you've heard of, like Sia has written at least a song for them. Um, and so it's not a, um, it wouldn't be a new thing, right? To have uh, a record company kind of um, having a lot of influence in how the artist um, presents themselves, the music they write, things like that. Um, but the big difference being that in the United States, I don't think it's, I think even the people who who know that that is actually how the industry works, it's not in the forefront people want to be want the illusion that the artist they're they're seeing or the artist they're listening to is you know is just that is just the artist you know what i mean they 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 don't want the association with like oh but so and so wrote the song for them and like this image that they have isn't really them um well, I don't know about that i don't know i'm going to have to push back on this because Aretha Franklin never wrote a song Frank Sinatra never wrote a song, and Should, and and you and you love all along the Watchtower, Jimi Hendrix. Sure, no, 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 no. And listen, listen, listen. My, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't think that. Uh, I mean, obviously, K-pop is becoming more popular here. So, like, oh yeah, that's the other thing I was gonna say. It's like it's big in like um, I don't want to say the youth because that makes me sound old, but I, the younger than us generation. I guess my I guess what I'm kind of questioning is, um, uh, like so for uh uh the uh, the Wonder Girls are uh, like a a personal favorite K-pop group of mine. Uh, JYP is the uh, the uh, record company that like represents them. They um there's they there is no like like. I don't know. I feel like there's more transparency in that, like, you know, these, you know, pop groups are. I'm having a tough time wording my thoughts. I got you because I I also think it's one of these things where it's going to have to be really different. Otherwise, it wouldn't matter. And so as big of a jump as it is to go from like the United States not having any groups that resemble K-pop groups to then having groups that resemble K-pop groups is going to be a big change because I don't know where else you go. Making little tweaks and little adjustments is how you end up more like Blockbuster and less like Netflix. Like Mm -hmm. At some point, you're going to have to make a big change in order to stay current 
And while it's probably not going to be necessarily our thing, um, just because it'll probably be of a different generation, that's why I think it might actually be more likely. The fact that you and I would be into it, I think would be a dis would be a point as to show it wouldn't work because it's not going to be made for our audience. Because at some point, you know, like I'm not saying our type of music or uh, the people who share our sentimentality is going to die out, but we're going to be slowly crept up upon by an audience of people who like the whole manufactured uh, scene. You know. Yeah, and and I hate using the like manufactured sounds. Like it sounds bad. Um, and like I I don't want them. I don't want it to sound like we're we're trashing the industry or trashing definitely like, not or anything like that. Definitely not. Um, but I think I I guess what I'm what I wonder is would would a group like BTS be as popular here if instead of being, uh from south korea if they were from uh, ohio you know what i mean same right. same everything but but just they're they're from ohio i think does the fact that it is a uh you know it's it's foreign it's you know i, I don't know, exotic is probably the wrong word but does that have how much does that play into you know why you know their popularity here i i'm gonna say none and get this you ready for my for my defense uh People love the Kardashians and they don't even do anything. Mm. If you and say anything with the Jersey Shore and all the Real Housewives series, because mm. the, and th this is why I think the 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 um, cultural difference or 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 um, exoticness. Yeah, that's the, um, definitely the wrong word, right but, right. but <laughs> we're, we're going to go matter. with it. Yeah, because if I, I really think that if you put the right type i'm not saying there's like i'm not picking the characteristics specifically because obviously the groups i mentioned are all trash reality tv shows but sure. regardless, like if you put the right type of group of people in front of a of a big enough audience i think they're gonna find a foothold you know like the fact that the kadar the cart the kardashians the, the kardashians <laughs> had a show for like how long like a decade um, it was uh, fourteen years. I think Jesus the, Christ! Because they just it just got canceled. But it, yes, yeah, it they was just like fourteen it. years. Yeah. Well, like th the fact that they had a show for that long, it says it. I'm not. It, it speaks to how much people want to be involved with a certain group of people. Yeah. Because it wasn't about again. They didn't do anything. It was about their dynamic, and mm -hmm. that yeah. in theory would be the same thing with manufacturing a group. And I I I know the. The word manufacturing sounds very cold blooded, and yeah. I it, it's tough because I don't know a better easy phrase for it. Uh, but regardless, um, if and and again, that's why the South Korea thing works. Like mm -hmm. that's why the K-pop groups work really well because they are very carefully chosen um, to represent different segments of a of a listener base to try to appeal to the largest audience mm -hmm. possible, right? Mm -hmm. And to have a certain so, dynamic, and to yeah, yeah. So well, you I, know I, I I think you I think you hit it on the head when you said we I I I would be surprised if 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 you and I are are totally on board with <coughs> with like the next wave <coughs> excuse me um you know it, we're just not we're not in the target demographic no 
No, and you know what's funny is I, I, I often think of, and this is a whole different conversation, but <laughs> oh, oh well. I often think about like, so you know, you're you're in the seventies and you're listening to you're listening to Leonard Skinner. You know, it, it's good. You're having a nice time. You know, you know, Bob Seeger's on the radio. It's fucking cool. And uh, how how are you? How do you react when you hear like the synths blare in on like a Duran Duran song? You know, or or something, I don't know, something more specifically eighties, uh, uh, like maybe Genius of Love by the Tom Tom Club. Like, how are how is that huge shift in music sitting with you? Because if I'm a guy who's like chilling out to Bob Seger in like 1978, and then all of a sudden like some synthesizer up weird bullcrap pops on my radio, I'm not sure how I'm reacting to that. But the problem is, you know. And like, if I was a betting man at that point in time, just knowing who I am as a person, I'd bet against it. But I'd be wrong because we can look back and go, no, like Tom Tom Club, uh, yeah. Talking Heads, um, uh, Duran Duran, uh, they, they all got big. They all had Huge. success. And that was, they are so far removed from what was being listened to really in the mainstream sense of that point in time. You had disco and you had some dance music. But it wasn't quite in the same realm as what would end up be coming in from the '80s, where you had a lot more synths and it was a lot poppier and 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 kind of took over a lot of the um, classic rock market share of the mind in, in, in a way. And mm -hmm. I don't know what that step would look like for us, but if I had to guess based on present information, I would probably pick K-pop. Yeah, it's it certainly does seem to be. Kind of the first new thing, I, like the first big change in in American listening habits that you know in in the last ten years, you know, yeah. Um, and and you know, I think you're right. I think putting myself in those shoes, you know, in 1978, if I'm if I'm that guy listening to, you know, Seeger on the radio or whatever, I well, there's probably there's probably two reactions. You know, there was probably a a portion of people who were like, "Whoa, this is." craziest thing i've ever heard this is amazing um but i think more than likely i'm in the other camp that says this is crazy i've never heard anything like this this is garbage yeah 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 um but you know that just it, it goes to show like i guess just how it's music is constantly changing and it's constantly changing with kind of with the youth right and it and and what whatever the new thing is at that time seems to come from kind of the energy and the the creativity of you know that generation's youth um and it doesn't always sit well with the people who aren't in that demographic um but um it'll be interesting to see over the next few years if if you know is k-pop is this is this kind of like a uh you know a fad that in, in a couple of years is going to kind of die out or is this kind of the next new trend in in music not only from like a listening standpoint but as we were talking about like you know from a way you know music artists are you know developed and even run as like a business yeah i i think this is this is a great conclusionary point because it kind of kind of wraps up the the two concepts of where is music going and where is the the music industry going because mm -hmm. This would be a great symbiosis 
um, for, for, for those two units, you know, like they'd really get a chance to, the, the, the music industry would find a whole new purpose and money making scheme. Um, and the, the, the greater music audience would get more of what is been popular the past few years and seems to only be getting more popular. So it would definitely seem to, to fit both needs pretty well. But again, you're right. We'll just have to, I don't, I don't think we're going to be able to predict it. Um, you and I personally, anyway, I, it's, it's whatever, whatever it is. Like I couldn't have predicted K-pop in the first place. So whatever, whatever it is, it's going to be something we have. We just haven't thought of. Otherwise we'd be millionaires. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I guess with that, I, I, I agree. I think this is a good, good stopping point because I, I can't see us solving any, any of the, uh, the world's mysteries, um, by rambling on about, uh, how we don't understand K-pop. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh I, I do have a follow-up from, uh, sure. from a previous episode to, sure. to, to bring it back. I, I showed Matt the other day um, Frank Zappa playing Stairway to Heaven live, and I think I revised my opinion on Stairway to Heaven. I think it's coverable. Because I really enjoyed the Zappa version. It solidified my opinion that it is not coverable. I, uh, I listened to it. And while I'll, I'll admit I, I, I hear the things you're hearing, I, it was an interesting take on the song. It just seems like I, I don't understand why. Why? I, I, now, the, the entirety of this conversation that is centered very heavily around Stare at Heaven can be heard from episode one. Um, but I, I think the reason I, I liked the Zappa version is that it's so close it stays so true to the original while also having just a fuck ton of zappa flair to it that made it his while also preserving what it is and i found that balance to be a lot of fun maybe, maybe that's why i didn't like it is that i, I i'm not a fan of the zappa flair because i i again i heard exactly what you heard it just didn't didn't float my boat the same way it did yours I'm just saying, for anyone who hasn't heard it, the the Jimmy Page guitar Definitely. solo is done by horns, and it's hey, fucking I, amazing. I, I the difference. I I will say I was interested. I was intrigued in listening to it, and so if you haven't heard it, give it a listen. Um, Steve, we would love Steve to hear I what, is on it. We would He's, love to hear what you think of the Frank Zappa "Stairway to Heaven" cover. Yeah, here, yeah. Here at you can't be serious, uh, and, and we are very serious that that the Zappa cover is is good shit. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, that was the only update I had. Uh, anything else? Uh, I don't think so. Take us out of here, Josh. All right. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at YCBSPod. Uh, if you want to hit us up via uh, Gmail to yell at us and give us your big, nasty opinions <laughs> or compliments, we take both. Uh, you can hit us up via YCBSPod at gmail.com. Uh, and, and that's all we got. We'll see you guys next uh, next Friday.